wasn't ready for that, but thank you for honoring my birthday. My dear mother and dad, that number four arrived, and so uh, out of six, so I was the fourth of six children. I'm not exactly in the middle, but I'm kind of in the middle. So, uh, but I've just been very blessed of the Lord. He is for you. Boy, that phrase out of the song, I just think, Lord, do we need reminding of that or what? That God is not against us. He is for us. Sometimes things uh, happen that we think, well, it seems like even the Lord is against me. And no, he's more for you than what we could ever imagine. Um, but good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to have you, you that are joining us by live stream. I guess we might be live streaming this morning, but uh, we're glad to have you. And um, Dr. Grady McMurtry is going to be here. I've talked to him this week, and uh, he's eager to share incredible uh, material on different phases and different aspects of creationism. But he's also a very evangelistic person. He's, uh, he, he was supposed to be in Russia earlier this month but uh his last couple of times of of planning to go to russia has been russia's locked up very tight right now with the coronavirus so uh, he's hoping to get back to russia this will be i think trip number 50 or 51 that he has made to russia alone uh he's in demand in brazil he's in demand and he's done a live zoom teaching in scotland recently um so he has a wealth of uh, experience, uh, was at one time an evolutionist early in his life, but um, came around to seeing that the evidence points otherwise. So um, you'll, you'll really enjoy, if you've never heard, Dr. Matt Murtry is going to be a delight. I want to take you to the book of Amos this morning. That's a good southern name, isn't it? Amos. Um, it has nothing to do with the message this morning, but... Uh, and when I think of Brenda, I think of uh, Rufus, because Brenda got an award one time called the Rufus Award. She can tell you about it. She don't want me telling you about it, but she can tell you about the Rufus Award that she was honored with. But you know, Rufus is a biblical name. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Um, so what's in the name? What does the name Amos mean? I'll, I'll get to that really uh, in just a few minutes, but... Many times the prophets and people in the Bible were named after something that had to do with their family. Well, for instance, Jesus, Mary was told, you will call his name Jesus because he will what? Save his people. It's actually uh, Yeshua or Joshua, meaning the Lord is salvation. Um, let's take, for instance, Samuel. Hannah prayed for a child. She was barren, and when she finally got that little baby boy... She named him Samuel, meaning ask of God. Another thing that comes to my mind when Rachel was pregnant with her second child and uh, in labor, she really started having severe complications and she was dying from childbirth. And the last thing that she said, she called her little baby boy uh, a name and she called him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But uh, his daddy, Jacob, did not want that child to be carrying a name with sorrow linked to it. So he renamed him Benjamin, which we call Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So what does Amos' name mean? I don't think he was, was a popular name back then because his name actually means burden. 
burdened. How would you like to have the name burdened? And uh, what is your name? I'm burdened. To spell that, B-U-R-D-E-N. Why did you? Well, this is, this is his name. And I don't know whether he uh, it was prophetically laid upon him or it's just the burden of the Lord that's upon him. And he has such a task to, to preach to the people that's, in, that's living in disobedience to the Lord. He's actually a resident of Judah. But God calls him to preach to the ten tribes that's north of them, that, that seceded from Benjamin and Judah. And so he goes up from his home place and he preaches up there and he gives them all kinds of the judgment of the Lord. And this is where chapter 5 kicks in, where God is dealing with them. And uh, these ten tribes, are they're really way off course. Um, when Solomon transitioned out and, and died and his son Rehoboam took over, it was a horrific, uh, catastrophic separation. And those ten tribes separated themselves. And uh, they were more wicked than Judah and Benjamin. And here God sends Amos. And we're going to begin reading in Amos. And, and I'm not going to read all of it. But in the first part of Amos, uh, he deals with the catastrophic things that's going to happen to them. When they go into battle, he says, you'll have 90% casualty rate. If you send 1,000 troops in there, only 100 will survive. If you send 100, only 10 of them will survive. And why is that? Because they were so out of touch with God, and God was sending a prophet. Why would God send a preacher to a country and to people who would not listen, who will not respond? Why, why would he do that? It's because he loves them enough to tell them the truth, even if they won't accept it. And it's the same thing about the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he knew he was dying for a lot of people who chose the wide path, the, the wide gate, and would never turn to him, but he died for the sins of the entire world because he loves them. And God loves his people. Even when they're way off course, he loves, he loves his people and he's going to chasten them. And then he gets to this thing that he mentions in verse 4 when he says, Seek me and live right after he's told him, you're not going to do good in battle. You're not going to have many people to survive what's coming your way. But if you seek me, you will live. And this is what I take from that statement. That with God, it's personal with him. We're personal with him. He takes us personally. And these people, out of all the things he was saying to them, he was telling them, if you seek me, if you seek me, and, and cry out to me, you will live. The days of past glory was not going to work for them. They were not going to relive their history when God brought them into the land and all the nations that opposed them, they were defeated. They were not going to be getting anything out of Bethel. In fact, right after he said, seek me and live, he says, do not seek Bethel. Now, this is interesting because Bethel was one of their great cities. Gilgal is mentioned right after that. And Beersheba is mentioned right after that. These were three of the great cities. And Bethel stood out really prominent because this is one of the first places Abraham, when he got there, built an altar and called upon the Lord. And he named that location Bethel, meaning house of God. But he tells him, don't seek Bethel. Don't seek a place where you think that it has some kind of magical power for you because of all the past history of it. 
He says, you, you got to seek me. You can't go back to your past of glory days. You have to seek me now and live. And then he gets something in the verse 10. I want to take you to and, and this is all about fairness. It's, in, it's really interesting that God has given him warnings about where's, what's going wrong with them and that they should seek him. And then he enumerates what is going wrong in the nation. This is verse 10. He said, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. And though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for times are evil. Now, I don't know if I mentioned to you what the title of this message Have I mentioned to you the title of the message? I'm sorry about that. I should have did that at the start. It's 20 inches. And I'll, I'll explain 20 inches in just a moment. You know what? That, uh, Kevin Elko messed me up on the title. Because he had a devotion recently, 17 inches, and I was thinking, what is a good title for this? That's a 20 inches. It, it, I'll get to why I, t- I titled it 20 inches. But he's talking about the fairness and the unfairness that's going on. And he says, listen, you people hate those who are trying to have justice in the court. You hate them. You reject them. You detest the one who tells the truth. It's not just it's okay to lie and be deceitful. He said, you actually have an animosity. I almost feel like we're living in that kind of day where people don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear, and if they hear anything different, regardless of what it is, if it's accurate, they don't want to hear it. And that was like rampant in the nation of Israel. And God is sending a prophet to him and says, you really look down on anyone who's trying to do right. So what does that translate? Those who are trying to do right, back off. They just back away and let it go. It even asserts that. And so evil has its way. Those who afflict the innocent, who do not let people have justice in the court, they are the ones that he's talking to right here. He says the courtrooms are different in regard to those who have built mansions. There's, there's this uh, class act, there's class division even in Israel, there's people who built mansions, built, uh, planted all these vineyards, and he says, you're not going to live in your mansion, and you're not going to drink wine from your vineyard because you're doing wrong. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how much prestige you have, you're doing wrong, and it's all going to come crashing down. I think there's probably a little bit of a difference in the courtroom between those who are poor and those who are wealthy. Some people can hire the best of attorneys and some kind of get a court-appointed attorneys. And I'll tell you, there is a big difference. And this was going on there. The hush-hush of those who could speak up. And Amos appeals to those who are witnessing this. The Word of God is coming to them and it boils down to decisions that they have to make. And that's in verse 14 and 15. And verse 14 and 15 is kind of like it's almost out of place. Because he gives all of this about the... The prudent are keeping quiet in such times for times of evil. Everybody, every just is back, they're back away from addressing the wrongs. And that's the worst thing we can do. 
is back away from when, when something's wrong, when something's not right. People, you know, you're just going to create trouble if you're pointing something out. God help us if we fail to not address things that are not right. And this is what he's uh, calling them out on. In verse 14, he says this. Seek good and not evil. Right after he says the times are evil, the prudent are keeping quiet, they're not speaking up. He said, but you ought to seek good and not evil that you may live. Kind of goes back to verse 4. Seek me and live. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. You're saying one thing, but it's not working because there's something wrong there. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. This boils down to decisions. He said, if you'll seek good and not evil, you will live. Now, both of these statements are not equal. Verse 14 and verse 15 are not equal statements. Seek good and not evil is not the same as hate evil and love good. Because seek has to do with decisions of priorities. To love and hate something comes in here, right? It has to come from here. But we really do have to love God from here. Not from here and not from here. We can say we love, love God, but if we're absent here, it's just words. But he's saying you have to do two things. You have to make decisions of priorities. And priority is to seek good and not evil. But the condition of your heart, you have to check your heart and say, do I really hate evil and do I really love good? And he's calling them to do that. He's calling them to take the heart, the passion of their soul and make some priorities and make some decisions so that you will have a dividing line in your life. We have to come to a place where we really hate sin, where we hate anything that separates us from God. We have, to, we have to reject what is evil. We cannot accept what is evil. We cannot accept no matter how the popularity begins to swing in our, in our policies and in our culture. We have to love the good and hate the evil, no matter what it is. And it boils down to about light and darkness. In verse 18, he says, why are some of you so eager for the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is not going to be good for you. The day of the Lord is going to come, and it's going to be good for some, but it's not going to be good for you. Why is it not going to be good for you? He says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness and not light. That day is light, but to others it's going to be darkness because it's going to be the judgment of the Lord. It will be as though though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Interesting verse there. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Will not the day of the Lord be like that? Pitch dark, without a ray of brightness. And then he says this in verse 21. I hate, I despise. Kind of interesting. He tells us to hate the evil and love the good. And he says, I'll tell you what I hate. I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. And that's encouraging. Your gatherings have an awful odor to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice offerings, 
fellowship offerings. I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. It's kind of interesting. He talked about the string instruments there, which are usually instruments of peace and harmony and and the melody of a string instrument is beautiful. And he said, I don't really want to hear your best violinist played. I'm telling you, when violin music is not acceptable to God, then something's up. And he's telling them, he says, the day of the Lord is going to be a dividing point. I hate your festivals. The day of the Lord is going to be darkness, not light. Think about that reality. It's like someone who meets a lion and runs from the lion and meets a bear and finally gets in the refuge of their home and leans their hand against the wall only to be bitten by a snake. You know that's not a good day for you when that happens. But he's talking about those who think you're avoiding this this disaster and you're going to avoid this disaster. And if you just get to a place of refuge without God, you'll be okay. But there's a snake waiting for you there. You may avoid the worst of the things that have the visual danger only to walk into what you think is a safe place of where you're at and put your hand against the wall and the snake is there to bite you. He said, this is how people think about getting out of trouble. You can't run from one problem to another problem and find a a place where you think there's no problems because they will follow you. And disobedience to God will follow you. I should have had this clip. Brenda asked me, you want to clip that? I said, no, I'll be all right. But it's okay. But here comes hope. And really, really and truly, worship has to come from the heart. God loves for us to worship. We're created to worship. But he doesn't like pretense. He will not accept us that's just plastic. It's artificial. It's just words. It's just, you know, going through the motions, as they say. But it gets down to this. It's about hope. And this is my last point. It's about the river. I love verse 24. Um, I'm not by myself on the love of that verse. It was one of Dr. Martin Luther King's favorite verses. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., let me say, favorite verses. So much interesting about him and um, to read about him. you, You never hear him put down this country. You always heard him speak optimistically that the problems we have are going to be resolved we believe God is going to straighten out all of this and he was always positive even when the boycott of the buses in Montgomery was going on you know where he was meeting he was meeting in churches with people he was calling for prayer meetings and it's because this verse this verse was one of his favorite verses when but let justice roll like a river roll on like a river And righteousness like a never-failing stream. When you read through verse 23 and you get to verse 24, it's kind of like it's out of place, doesn't it? God is just hitting them right and left with this is wrong and this is wrong, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The word justice or judgment, if you're reading out of King James, it's usually translated judgment. But here's translated as misfet. It's four times used by Amos, the burden prophet of the Lord. The man who's carrying a burden on his life to preach to the people of Israel. And three times it's in this chapter alone. Three out of the four times in Amos it's in this chapter. 
And it talks about that which is done right. I remember telling my son one time when he saw something on television, he says, that guy got away with it, Dad. That guy got away with that. And I said, no, he didn't get away with it. The final judge hasn't declared what's what. I said, son, righteousness will always prevail. No matter when you think the greatest injustice you've just witnessed, God is going to make that right. Justice will prevail. And you look at this and say, all right, is he talking about justice with the people? That the people are finally using justice where it's not been justice? And righteousness where it's not been righteousness? It's, I, I, I think it's not that. I think it is really God's justice and God's righteousness that needs to flow like a river. That needs to come pouring down upon culture, upon our world. The burden prophet writes that this is the one hope for the people of God. Is that God's justice will pour down like a river. This is our hope. That he will come as a surging river into our culture, into our lives. Could we use that today? Could we use the justice of God to pour as a river into our world? You look at how, how way off our world is when it comes to the treatment of the innocent and of the, the poor, those who do not have the means. And then he's calling this out and he says, but the justice of God is what's going to save the day. It's the righteousness of God. We might be waiting for the justice of people and the righteousness of people, and we might be waiting a long time if we're waiting for that. This is God's justice. It's God's righteousness. It's got to flow like a mighty river. Not a cistern, not a place to collect it, but something that will have force to push out the evil and bring refreshing, bring life, bring vitality back to us. God examines what people are doing. He sees. And the approach to his altar when it's absent of devotion, it's, it's just, he doesn't accept that. When someone tells you it's not personal, you can count that it is personal. <laughs> and with God, this is personal. So, question, where is this mighty river of justice found? Where is it found? 20 inches. It's 20 inches from you. It's the distance between your knee and the floor. It's between us seeking him and living. It's not about talking about seeking him. It's about seeking him and living. Really seeking him. Really on our knees. On our face. Have we ever been in a greater time where we need an extended time on our faces before God the services are streamlined because of COVID and we move from one thing to another but I'm, I just believe that God is calling us and he was calling the people of Israel through Amos out of everything he said in this chapter he said but when righteousness and justice flow as a river as a mighty stream Things will happen to turn things around. But if that doesn't happen, it's not going to turn around. And I think that little distance of 20 inches is where we need to measure what we do. 
I want the praise team to come up because I think we're at a time and place in our world that we lean more on social media than on this here. This here. This is the word of God. This is God's word. It's eternal. It'll never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one little stroke, not one, not the smallest alphabet. That jot till is about Hebrew writing. Not the slightest stroke, not the smallest character in the Hebrew alphabet will ever pass away until God's word is fulfilled. It will never pass away. And so we need a new passion for God's word, a new passion for his presence, a new passion Passion, Lord, for your righteousness, for your justice. Lord, I pray this morning that our hearts be drawn to you. You are for us. You are for us. Lord, if we're distracted by different things, show us that. Reveal that to us. If we're to be stewards of this body that the Holy Spirit lives in, but we're also stewards of our time. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the misuse of time, the misuse of a day, the misuse of just a moment. Help us to seek your face, Lord. Remind us, oh Father, we need reminding. We're just got so many things. Life can be so busy. We're just everywhere but where we need to be sometimes, and that's before you. Kneeling, crying out to you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to seek you. Help us. Maybe some of us here, we just are not motivated. We just kind of like got the, the burden on ourselves so much. We just, it's just a labor for us to keep going. Whoever that is here this morning, Lord, or whatever is going on in us, would you provoke in us now, by your mighty name, a new hunger and thirst for you. A greater thirst Maybe some of you, they've just been so stirred in their eagerness to be with you and cry out to you. Would you simply intensify that, Lord, to the point that we hear your voice so distinctly among the noise that's around us. That the noise does not drown out your still, small voice. That we find a place of quietness and alone with you, Lord. We need you. We need healing. We need renewal. We need a new power in our lives to stand up and not be those who are quieted down because it just seems like, what's the use? What's the use of speaking up? You sent a prophet to people who, for the most part, wouldn't listen, but he was there being obedient. That's what you want from us, is obedience. Even in this life, if it means suffering, As we sung earlier, we still will embrace you, embrace your promise. Would you stand with me this morning?